0: Well, welcome everyone to Denton's and WA Apartment Advocacies podcast. I'm Samantha Rees, Director of WA Apartment Advocacy, and I'll be talking to John Park, partner at Denton's Law Firm. And today we're going to be discussing apartment sales contracts. Are you looking to buy an apartment or know someone who is? Well, let's help shed some light on aspects that you need to be mindful of before you sign on the dotted line. Welcome, John. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Samantha. I look forward to the discussion about probably the most important part of acquiring an apartment, the beginning.
0: That's correct. And it's all about how you start is how you want to finish. So to kick off the session, what are some of the elements in an apartment sales contract that you should be aware of and why?
1: There are two methods or, or two different styles of contracting for apartments um samantha as you know the first is off the plan and the alternative is to buy an established strata title lot sometimes called built form strata so they are two different scenarios but the commencing place is of course after agreeing price and the commercial aspects is working out what the contract of sale does and does not do as the buyer.
0: And I think that's important because sometimes that apartment sales contract that can be like two hundred or three hundred pages long, can't it, John?
1: Yep. So often we see, particularly off the plan, apartment sales contracts will be in the hundreds of pages. That hundreds of pages is most often made up of a set of what might be called special conditions, though they might not be apparent to the untrained eye that that contract forms part of the sales contract likely to run into the 40 or 50 pages those special conditions whilst they appear to be the predominant part of the contract are actually most often drafted as being part of what's called the general conditions of sale which is a standard form product produced by rewa in conjunction with the law society the Mm -hmm. other aspects then of that contract will be the general form or the general, the standard conditions. And then you will have the bylaws or at that stage, the proposed bylaws of the development, remembering that you're off the plan and therefore you might be buying something that has not even began its construction. So you could be in pre-construction phase. And within the contractual documents, then you'll have the notifications to the buyer which are things that are required to be provided under the Strata Titles Act in Western Australia, which are the statutory requirements. So that the contract is made up of those component parts and it will amount to often, as you say, Samantha, hundreds of pages of interlocking, hopefully non-ambiguous terms.
0: And I think that's the biggest concern that I have is that, you know, like you say, that's one of the most important documents you need to read. And yet we find um, often we have buyers come back to us and they say, I wasn't aware of this or I wasn't aware of that. So let's talk about off the plan sales, because that certainly is something that we're seeing become more prevalent. Talk to us about the sunset clause. What is that sunset clause and how do we actually make sure it's going to protect the buyer and not the seller?
1: the sunset clause if that's an intro int- i'm 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 a bit slow in responding to you samantha because of the idea about it protecting the buyer and not the seller because okay. and let and perhaps if i explain that why i'm hesitant in that regard the sunset clause could protect either or both of the buyer or seller now The sunset clause, perhaps we should first at least talk about what a sunset clause is. So the Strata Titles Act requires there to be a clause in an off-the-plan strata title contract. There is a um, sunset clause, which is really a clause that says this. If the strata scheme, or what's now called just the scheme in the Strata Titles Act, is not registered by a certain date, then the buyer can terminate the contract. So it's the seller's obligation to cause the registration of the strata scheme before a certain date. And that certain date is six months after the date of the contract, if it is not otherwise stipulated in that off the plan contract. I have yet to see a off the plan strata sales contract and I've drafted them myself. It's there designed, it's in the buyer's favour in, in the sense that the buyer can activate it if the scheme is not registered within a certain period of time.
0: So, John, a sunset clause really is an opportunity if a, a project has been delayed for, let's say, three or four years, longer than what was anticipated. It gives the opportunity for the buyer then to exit from the contract if they don't want to continue waiting. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that's correct. So, but the time frame three or four years will depend on what's written in the contract. And that could be 12 months, one year, two years, three years. And you've agreed to that at the front end. So you've agreed to that contract time. And then once that time expires, unless it's extended by agreement by the seller and the buyer, the buyer has a contractual right. And it's really a statutory right as well to terminate the contract and receive back from the buyer their deposit and any interest or any other money that's accrued less any bank fees.
0: I'm also hearing, John, about situations where um, the seller, so the developer, is actually waiting, especially where you've got a hot market. They're waiting to reach the sunset clause. They're then basically you know, con- uh, cancelling all the contracts with existing buyers so they can go back and renegotiate. Have you heard of that as well?
1: Sellers have often in their contracts, Samantha, for off-the-plan sales, they will also include, whilst the sunset clause we've been referring to is a sunset clause, in the essence, in favour of the buyer or giving the buyer a right, many developers will include in their contracts, and be so being what I've referred to often as the special conditions, a sunset clause to the effect that the seller has a right if the scheme is not registered by a certain date and some contracts will include reasons for the scheme not being so registered then the seller will have a right to exercise the sunset and terminate the contract return the deposits and then either as you say renegotiate the sale of the lots if that's its intention or Perhaps the project isn't going to continue or can't continue for one reason or another. That would give the opportunity for the seller to terminate for that reason.
0: Yeah, and that's why I've asked the question because we've heard of it as well. And especially when you might actually start marketing a project and the sales are quite slow and then suddenly you have, as we have seen in WA, a 30 to 40% increase in construction costs and suddenly, you know, developers are going back out to negotiate with the buyers. Um, and that, you know, can leave a bit of taste in someone's mouth when they actually had their heart set on an apartment and now it's kind of being whisked away and they want to know what their rights are, of course.
1: In those circumstances, buyers could have many rights because the exercise of the sunset clause in favour of a seller is that right is often conditioned on certain things not being met beyond the seller's control and not mm. an entitlement to terminate response to a seller's a sunset clause in a seller's favor in circumstances where the seller just chooses not to complete for a per for a commercial purpose. I'm yet to see a sunset clause that gives that right and There is some common law to the effect that um, sellers who endeavoured to use that right, unless it was specifically included in the contract, would find, I think, considerable resistance by the courts um, upholding that right. So it has to be for a legitimate beyond the control of the seller is the ordinary course.
0: Now, obviously, what I've seen recently, which I've been concerned about is contracts where they actually delegate the proxy of voting so when the buyer signs the contract what they actually do is delegate their proxy to vote to the seller now as you and i both know a, a committee or a council of seven will often oversee a building once it's being constructed and obviously make sure that things are happening within that building to maintain it make sure it's operational but what we're seeing is that then because the developer obviously in WA can't vote on defects what they're doing is accruing all these votes from the buyers and actually acting on behalf of the buyers and that causes me concern because you know the developer should actually be thinking about the developer and I think the buyers should be thinking about their perspective from the apartment building what's your thoughts on that?
1: The practice can only occur when the scheme has been registered because until the scheme is registered, there are no um, lots and therefore there are no there is no strata company for this proxy vote to be used at. Once the scheme is registered, the developer's ability to use proxies should be reducing because it settles with each of the buyers. So the buyers don't become buyers anymore, they become lot owners. So it leaves two circumstances. The first is, if we imagine an apartment block with, and it could be a mixed-use block; it doesn't have to be an apartment with a hundred lots, and the developer has sold fifty, and fifty have been to, are retained by the developer. The developer would naturally have fifty votes and wouldn't need a proxy because it is a it holds fifty votes in that circumstance as a lot owner. So that's one circumstance that buyers need to be mindful that whilst they might be mixing the idea of uh, the proxy vote with an actual vote owned by the developer but once your lot is owned you have the right to vote what i think the concerns of some buyers are and i've seen this in in many of the sales contracts the buyer passes to the developer even after the buyer has settled and has become the lot owner there is a clause that allows the developer to act as the what is the buyer now lot owner's proxy until the developer has either gives their permission or has sold out of the apartments and the developer so therefore as you're suggesting the developer is endeavoring to retain control of the strata company despite it being the developer, as you say, and not the strata company. And that happens. I'm not sure I've seen an off-the-plan sales contract without a clause of that type in it. So it is disturbing. Um, But there are some protections for buyers that I could talk to if there's time now. Yeah, go for it. The Strata Titles Act has been amended in the last two years. In fact, in 2020. And what it now requires is that if you have a proxy for a lot owner and you attended a meeting, so let's use you and I as an example, Samantha, if if I gave you my proxy for you to vote on my behalf at a Strata Company meeting and you take that, you have to accept it and you're ready to use it, and I then arrive at the meeting and I decide to go to the meeting myself, in that circumstance, you cannot vote on my proxy. In effect, once I'm in the meeting, the proxy is cancelled. So in some ways, for those people who can physically attend a meeting, and many meetings now can be conducted electronically. So when I say physically attend, including electronically by Zoom or Teams or some other proprietary product, then that use of a proxy by a developer will be nullified.
0: But my concern is that I'm actually seeing some developers not holding the first AGM until after month 13 or 12 months, and that's obviously when you have the defect liability period and there's all those kinds of elements that you really want to be empowered to make those decisions about, correct?
1: My concept of owning a strata titled lots is that I have a say in accordance with my unit entitlement, which is the value given to my vote within the scheme, to take part in the management of the scheme because I'm a part owner of it. And that includes Mm -hmm. the common property and things of that nature. So from my concept, I agree. It's a matter that the management of the scheme should as soon as possible be provided or passed over to the buyers, which should occur within a reasonable period of time after the scheme is registered. The delaying of a first annual general meeting doesn't appear, conducive to the owners managing the scheme that they part-own themselves, I agree with you.
0: And so I actually have written to um, Minister Carey and met with his office, in fact, about providing that clause about the proxy to be actually taken out of the standardized contract and put as a special addendum so that buyers can actually have to read it and sign it again to verify that they understand what that concept means. Um, Because I think that if most people had explained to them Um, they may not sign it. (laughs) They may say, no, I think I'll keep that vote to myself. Thank you very much. And I think that's important because our research shows that 60% of um, apartment owners have moved from a home. And as you and I are both aware, there's a big difference, isn't there, between um, owning a home and owning an apartment?
1: Yes, owning a home, whilst it might be joint between partner and partner, in owning an apartment where there is common property, Or in the case of a survey strata, a common property lot involves co-ownership with strangers of the intrinsic part of the apartment or the villas, the scheme. And that's the intrinsic part being the common property without which you wouldn't have the other aspects.
0: So let's talk about bylaws, um, because obviously, you know, once you've got your contract, the bylaws are always part of the contract. And of course, the bylaws deal with things like booking common space, pet policy, CCTV and all that kind of thing. Should a buyer read those bylaws, John?
1: The buyer should read the bylaws and the buyer should ensure that the buyer understands the bylaws and the effect of them. And I think there's one last aspect that the buyer should understand is how the buyer can or how the buyer is prevented from making changes to the bylaws. So the buyer needs to understand the methods in which bylaws come about. That would be my advice.
0: Hmm. And certainly, you know, for us, we've often had people ring me and they've had concerns because they've been obviously wanting to let out, short let their apartment, but there's a bylaw that says you can't. Do short term lets. And I've actually even seen one council, unfortunately, change a bylaw trying to prevent that short term leasing. And what they did was when they changed the bylaw, they said you can't actually have someone staying in your apartment for less than three months. And I said to the council, well, that means if you go on holiday, someone can't come and stay in your apartment and look after your apartment. If you're in hospital, someone can't come and stay in your apartment and feed your cat. What you should have done was actually said, you know, you can't stay in the apartment for less than three months if there's a financial gain. Do you find that that's often an issue, is that people just don't understand what those bylaws mean?
1: Yes. Nearly every day I have inquiries or conversations with people in relation to misunderstandings about bylaws in all sorts of scenarios. The bylaws of the style you're speaking in relation to the prevention of short stay, and this probably applies equally to all bylaws. But they get it becomes more important when you have bylaws of the nature that you're speaking about, and the and the strong conduct bylaws. They need to be drafted properly, and they're not a job to be drafted by lay people or or, or even strata managers. Now it's actually a legal document. The scheme bylaws form a statutory contract, or in accordance with the strata titles act, they form a statutory deed. They're considered as a deed. And they're a they're a legal document, and they're binding on the strata company and each proprietor, and each proprietor or owner as between each other. And where we find great areas of dispute arising between owners and strata companies and strata managers is often where bylaws are either very old and drafted in an archaic fashion which often includes ambiguity or they're drafted by lay people and I use that term as non-lawyers or perhaps even be fair to everybody, lawyers who are not practiced in strata titles, law and drafting of bylaws and that causes the concern so A bylaw of the type you're speaking in relation to short stay, we'll put that three months. We often see that three months clause. The three months, the idea of three months is historic and it stemmed from some of the local government provisions in relation to residences and zoning. So historically, that's where the three months came from. That has taken greater weight, of course, in the era of, of the short stay for money style. And I would suggest that any bylaw that someone intended or attempted to enforce to prevent someone, as you suggest, staying in a residence while someone was in hospital or staying in a residence for a holiday period, other than for a short stay for money, would not get the support of the State of Minutes Tribunal if it was tested there, should not get the support of a strata company in the first place and would not get the support of the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court of Western Australia has made very clear enunciations about the effect of such bylaws within strata. And, it's, and it should be, therefore, fairly easy, with a proper understanding, to navigate the short apartment <laughs> short-stay minefield of bylaws.
0: It is a bit of a minefield, isn't it?
1: It can so... be because vested interests, Samantha,
0: No, correct. Now, the other thing that I've also been conscious of, and I'm sure you have been too, is that we've had a number of builders kind of go bust in recent times. Firm, ProBuild, Pindan, uh, Diploma. And so if the apartment building is under construction, you know, that kind of leaves a bit of a minefield, doesn't it? Um, Do you have any protection if the builder goes bust and the developer kind of like is hanging in limbo?
1: Well, immediately... You have your sunset clause. If, if that starts to lapse, and you're getting closer to the sunset clause, buyers will have some. If we can perhaps use it as even leverage on a developer to for the buyer to renegotiate. And remembering that it works both ways. If you've got the right of a sunset clause and the developer wants you there, then you might have, an, as a buyer, an opportunity to renegotiate some parts of it. The interesting part is that the majority of apartments are not built by the developer. The owner of the land who takes on the development is often different from the builder, even though some um, developers have what I call captive builders. So they work only with one builder and the builder likely only works with one developer or some developers I have known have created a building company which is related to the developer and they use the builder. So your, your off the plan contract is a contract between the buyer and the developer or the owner of the land and the idea of building. So if the builder goes goes bust, as you refer to, then often buyers have no recourse at all to the developer about that, except for the sunset clause, and they will have no recourse as against the builder because they don't have a relationship with the builder. So it can yeah. leave the buyers feeling in limbo. They should feel protected by their developer because it's the developer who has promised by the form of this contract that we started off speaking about to build them their home, yeah. and to make it ready for them to take over and move in. So it's really the developer has the onus of sorting out that problem.
0: So what can you do in the you know when you're looking to sign a contract and you're concerned about the possibility that your builder might go bust? What could you put into the sales contract that would allow you to actually feel a sense of ease or protection? Is there anything that can be done?
1: Unless the builder was the developer, they were one entity. The The buyers will not have any legal relationship with the builder apart from the sunset clause or apart from asking the developer to put a clause in the contract, for example, that says to identify the builder. And if there's a event of default by the builder, for example, an insolvency event, then certain things the developer might have to do. But I've seen that occur, of course, between financiers and developers where they will want a tripartite arrangement so that the builder, the developer, and the financier enter into a a contract, um, an agreement, people call them agreements, deeds, contracts, but enter into a binding arrangement whereby the developer has obligations to the financier in relation to the builder, the builder to the financier as well. So that's the financier trying to make sure that they've um, considered both the developer and the builder, before they put their money into the project, but not sellers and, well, not buyers and builders and not sellers, builders and buyers in a tripartite form I have not seen. There's very little um, that a buyer can do. They're they're in the hands, in the trust of the developer, the seller. That's their contracting party. And Samantha, I, I probably should add that in my experience, in a developer faced with a builder that isn't likely to be able to continue to perform is not something that the developer or the seller wants either. It's not a good scenario for the seller. So you often find that the seller is likely taking all action that it can do to get a new builder or to financially support a builder until the project is finished
0: and I think that clause that you're talking about you know is a good idea to include that if the builder you know in the sales contract if the builder does actually go bust or um, under during the actual construction phase that there should be some kind of ability for the buyer to leave the contract and I think we might actually see a bit more of that happening John as we kind of like progress over the next couple of years because we're certainly finding that um, the, the talk around town is that the builders are just not being able to actually uh, be uh, sustainable at the current construction prices. So it's certainly very interesting. Now, so I guess the next loaded question I'm going to ask you is, should a buyer therefore get some legal advice before they sign a sales contract for an apartment?
1: Yes, it's the short <laughs> <This> is, answer. <laughs> that's the short answer. Yes, it's likely to be for many people. Perhaps not for those that you've spoken about downsizing. Um, it's perhaps for many people the the biggest expense or the biggest item of purchase for their lives, and to think that they would enter into these contracts of these numerous pages without receiving any advice is astounding. And I think they should be getting legal advice about the contracts. And it might even surprise many buyers, the affordability of that legal advice from lawyers such as myself, and there are others, of course, with considerable strata experience in at the front end as well, working and building these contracts for developers, builders and financiers, and also working for buyers and owners you have a very rounded approach. They could be surprised that the affordability of that, particularly if you consider it as a percentage of the cost of the purchase or the cost of the loan or the cost of the interest. The It is an extra burden of cost. And I think it, they would. Most of them would find it worthwhile.
0: I totally agree because you know, if you're a first home buyer, you're not used to signing a, a sales contract, or even if you're moving from a home into an apartment, the whole bylaw situation. There's a lot of clauses within that sales contract that you do need to be legally aware of, right? Just to make sure that um, you're not going to get caught out. I think that's really important.
1: One of the things, Samantha, I I think is. Oh, real importance in this off-the-plan purchasing and what a lot of people might not otherwise know is the Strata Titles Act provides protection for buyers of off-the-plan contracts and it runs to many pages of, of law and some of that law can be conditioned in the contract as we've spoken about as an example is the sunset clause by statute, six months but that can be amended and other parts of it can't be amended at all. And when we're speaking to ideas such as we've spoken only about a builder um, having financial difficulty or going bust, but if the de- what if the developer is facing a circumstance of that nature or the developer changes the size of a lot or the developer decides, as you've said, Either before the scheme is registered or after the scheme is registered, to offer a license or a lease over part of the common property, or to, if you're on a waterfront, to do something. If there's a, if there's a jetty, I've seen these where there's a, a right to a jetty or the right to the waterfront, and the developers will start to change, if you like, some of the conditions. Of the common property, conditioning it either by agreement or otherwise, and they become very, they become variations to the contract. Despite ordinarily, layperson would say, "Well, my contract hasn't changed," but the Act says, "No, they're notifiable variations. They are things that have changed, and they have to be notified. And there are very strict timeframes. There's two types of variations, so they can, they are graded." by the act and then, and there's different periods and they give a buyer, a right of termination in some circumstances. So imagine getting through to the end of the contract saying, I just had to go ahead. And a year later, someone telling you, oh, you didn't actually because of something. And they say, oh, well, we did get a letter from the developer. but we didn't know what that meant. So when we're in the frame of mind, speaking about buyer's rights, the Strata Titles Act in the protection of purchasers aspects, protect, protection of buyers is quite comprehensive and that needs to be reflected in the contract. And if it's not, it's in the act. So um, I, I, that's another reason I would recommend that people have an understanding, not just when they sign the agreement, what they're signing, but what rights they have during the term of the agreement until settlement occurs after the scheme is registered.
0: I couldn't agree more, John. And obviously the WA Apartment Advocacy has created our Apartment Buyer and Owner Education Kit and that has got a lot of information about what kinds of questions you should be asking the developer up front, um, what you should be doing with your pre-settlement checklist and so forth. But you cannot beat an experienced eye looking over that sales contract and just highlighting to you areas that might be of concern that you may want to address. Because like you say, sometimes an apartment project can take 12 to 18 months to construct. Um, it's a long time to be waiting to be told at the end that maybe your dream home is no longer your dream home, correct?
1: That's correct. Or perhaps your dream home is not the same size as you purchased. And perhaps you've been notified and missed your opportunity You know, to confer with or negotiate with the developer or terminate contracts on that basis so it's an, it's important to understand what to expect in some in more commercial senses people would refer to that as contract management you know that concept that once you're in a contract it's nice you put it in the drawer you close the drawer and at the end you pay the money shake hands and it's all nice and, and that's a perfect world but in many instances in commercial settings. Particularly in construction, and you imagine the developer and the builder will be doing this in their relationship. They manage the contract, so they they have people who do it. A buyer should be managing their sales con off the plan sales contract. A buyer should manage that contract through until settlement is done on the terms that they uh, that they agreed at the beginning.
0: Correct. Correct, and I think that's the surety that buyers are wanting, aren't they? What they signed at the beginning is what they get at the end, but as you and I both know, that's not always the case, and that's why you need to actually have the right kind of legal representation on your side, to say the least.
1: <laughs> yes, good, good education. You know, as you've as you've suggested, and as as you provide. Um, Good education supported by good legal advice from people who do this type of law almost as a matter of their daily course.
0: Correct. Well, John, it's been an absolute delight uh, to talk to you today and I really do appreciate your time. John Park from Denton's, everybody, obviously a specialist in strata and one of the people that we would actually suggest you go and see if you're looking to obviously have your uh, sales contract reviewed before you actually sign away your um, half a million dollars plus for your apartment. Um, and obviously you can actually contact John through our webpage, waaa.net.au He's one of our preferred suppliers under legal. Um, so thank you again, John, for joining us today and taking us through this very interesting topic and it was very worthwhile. So thank you everybody for tuning in today. We'll keep you updated as we continue to do these podcasts with dentists. We've got plenty of topics to talk about as we move forward. We look forward to seeing you next time.